0: Blackman Saturday Down South on this episode, Eric Fawcett and I will talk about the commitment of Kyle Lofton, St. Bonaventure, guard deciding to transfer to Florida, giving the Gators the point guard that they desperately needed to, to fill out this roster. Um, he'll join Trey Bonham, give the Gators two point guards for the first time since the Chioza and Hill era, really um, two serviceable point guards. Um, and we will also talk about Myron Jones, what his role on the team might be, we'll get into that. Talk a little bit of recruiting um, and some other issue that I'm totally forgetting right now. Oh, NIL uh, towards the end. Get into a little name, image likeness, our thoughts on how that's proceeding uh, and how ad hoc rulemaking as we go along is probably not the way to go. So hope you guys enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. I am Neil Blackman, Saturday down south, joined by Eric Fawcett, GatorCountry.com. Eric, normally we have like rapid reactions on these shows, but I think we did probably half an hour on Kyle Lofton when he visited out of sheer excitement. So it didn't feel like we really needed to do rapid react. One thing I loved about last Friday's commitment, though, was just how it kind of materialized out of nowhere almost. I mean, I think at the end of our last podcast, we said oh, we expect him to make a decision here, but I know he had a previous visit planned that he canceled. Um, and then Florida just kind of does a press release before he can even get a graphic up, which almost never happens these days. Um, but Florida does get the commitment of Kyle Lofton, who two times has been uh, All-Atlantic 10 player. Um, one third team selection, one second team selection. Um, just, I think, the point guard that this team really needs.
1: Yeah, I think so. It was, it was pretty exciting. And again, I think, you know, Coach Golden played a little bit into the anticipation. You know, he's not shy about talking about when he thinks he's going to get someone or when Florida can ex- expect some news, so uh, of course he kind of played in at uh, the Dickey Vigal that uh, oh you know some news might be coming. So I think everyone was was waiting a little bit, and then when when Lofton didn't pop, everyone was like oh what's what's. Uh, You know what's going on. It was a little, little nervous, but ultimately the the Gators kind of get their guy. And I think, like you mentioned, talking about um, just kind of being perfect for for what the Gators are kind of looking for. I think whenever you can bring in someone, particularly in a transition year, who is so responsible with the basketball, um, has really like more experience than your anyone could ever really get. Like how many four year starters who played like you know thirty four minutes as a freshman a game and then go on to play like 38 minutes per game for three like, like right. when are you going to be able to get someone with that many reps um, so for the Gators to get a um, a very experienced point guard both experienced from a game big game standpoint from a minute standpoint from a role standpoint um, I think that's just exactly what, uh, what they were looking for and uh, I think again just someone who is a very willing passer, not someone who looks to score the ball on his own first. When you've got a team that that has kind of talent surrounding him at, at, in multiple positions, um, I think that that's uh, that's that's uh, it's going to make the the pieces fit fit really well. I think so. I think uh, very well done by the staff. This is a player that seems to be pretty universally everyone's pretty excited for. I, I haven't seen too much like oh you know wish we got this guy. I
0: think uh, <laughs> Florida fans are pretty happy with this one. Yeah. I mean, I think nationally it was, it kind of moved the needle on the Gators a little bit, whereas like you and I had kind of been over this a little bit for, for those who missed it um, on the last podcast, we'll get into Lofton and his game a little bit uh, deeper as well. And if it's repetitive for a few of you, then um, it's kind of the way it goes when they commit, I guess, and apologies. Uh, but it was interesting. Like the national reaction was, Oh, I like, I really like what Ford is building now and Well, you know, I feel like maybe the most disrespect there is to Trey Bonham just because it wasn't like Florida was going to enter the season without a point guard. (laughs) Um, Which, uh, you know, I I know some maybe not in the best of faith members of the fan base might have argued that Florida didn't necessarily have one last year. Um, But Tyree Appleby certainly was was a point guard. Um, You know, nonetheless, Eric, uh, when you can get a player like this who I think complements Bonham really well, I think that might've been why some of the smarter analysts were like, Hey, I really like what Florida's building. Cause now, um, you know, they kind of have a point guard they can play in transition or quicker games. And then Kyle often to me is the guy that Florida can give the ball at the end of the shot clock too. And it's not necessarily that he's going to score um, or hit like a, a three in that situation, but I like his mid-range game and his ability to get to the basket, and he's an excellent passer off the drive. Yeah, his um, like I think everyone looks at his three-point numbers and uh, it says, "Well, he's
1: not a very good shooter." And uh, yeah, if we're gonna look for a, a problem in in his game, you looking at his three-point percentage, which has been consistently below average, is a you know fair place to look at. But I think people would be surprised to know and will be surprised to see at Florida that his numbers shooting off the dribble, his talent shooting off the dribble, is actually quite good. And a lot of those attempts were in the mid-range. I was very happy to see that later in the season, he was getting um, a lot more comfortable, a lot more confident shooting off the dribble from three. But he does have some nice touch there. And and the other thing too, of course, is uh, that people are also aware of. He's been consistently a very good free throw shooter. So um, just seems like that mid-range game, and he's pretty comfortable, whether it be, you know, that free throw line area or taking literal free throws. So I think for him, he is a little bit of a, like, I, I kind of have used this term a, a couple of times on the show. And um, I, I kind of call him an aimer, like his mechanics are not great, but his touches is, is really good. And I feel like he gets uh, his, his his guide hand on the ball a little bit too much, but for, for shorter shots, mid range shots, it allows him to hit some tough ones off the dribble. Um, but when it comes to further range, that doesn't usually work out as well. And that's what we're seeing. And uh, so I, I think there is a, a chance that his kind of, you know, step back game in the mid range is is still going to be a pretty good option late in shot clocks. So I, I wouldn't go hunting it early, but uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's something that the Gators can definitely have in, in, in their back pocket in these late clock situations. And yeah, I, I'm glad you mentioned Trey Bonham because I feel like, you know, to be honest with you, I I've kind of fallen in the trap a little bit. I'm sure I've said on the show, like, you know, the Gators need a point guard or like, That's the, you know, the Gators are missing a point guard and, um, I guess that would be a little disrespectful to straight Bonham who I still, am a big fan of, and it was still a take for me. And I've, I've got to tell you, Neil, looking at some of these rotations that the Gators have had at point guard over the last six, seven years. Well, you know, ever, ever since Casey Hill and, and, and Chris Chioza, it's like, man, like it has not been, it has not aspired confidence when Florida's starting point guard has, has gone to the bench, um, with when Trey Mann and Tyree Appleby could kind of split some of those minutes, it was you know still pretty good, but maybe not as, as true point guards in, in both those kind of senses as what you'd be getting with, with Lofton and, and Bonham. And um that's one thing too is you know ever since I've been looking at lineup data, the Gators have just got there's there's been kind of two times noticeably that the Gators have gotten murdered in in uh in lineup data um over my time covering the team. It was when their starting point guard came off the floor and when their starting center came off the floor. <laughs> that was the situation with uh um ever since you know when Chris Jose came off the floor to when Andrew Nemar went off the floor to when Tyree Appleby went off the floor this last year. Um and uh then it was of course you know with when Cavarius Hayes went off the floor to when Carrie Blackshear went off the floor to when Colin Castle went off the floor. So um the thought of Kyle Lofton being able to go to the bench Um, and bringing Trey Bonham out, which we, you know, presume would be the lineup, um, Man, that's gonna feel awesome. <laughs> that's gonna feel really good to see Trey Bottom come on the floor. <laughs> and for that reason, I think the Gators, Gator fans are gonna love Trey Bottom. Like to have a player like that who can come off, bring some juice with his shot making, um, the energy he plays with. I think he's built really well for the backup role. And that isn't to suggest that I think he's a career backup. Um, I, I think he'll be a great starting point guard one day. Um, but for him, like it's one of those things where like if Trey Bottom was the starter, you probably think, okay, we're not, we don't, we don't love him as a starter, but then you put him in a backup role and suddenly you can look at sec rosters and be like man we might have one of the best backup point guards in the league and that's uh that's pretty exciting so very excited for Lofton and I'm also very excited for just the the point guard rotation that the Gators are now going to have
0: yeah two things on that um one uh you know I like one thing I like for Lofton is that he's averaged like 37.5 minutes a game in his last three seasons which is I mean, mind-boggling. The guy doesn't come off the floor. Um, And again, I think, I think you and I both agree that while not power six level, uh, the A10 is one of the better leagues after the power six. Um, And I think, you know, so he's playing. He's just logging incredible minutes. And I'm not saying that that's going to make his jump shot go from 28.5 percent career three to 35, but. Maybe it gets him over 30, just being a little less tired, um, you know, could could certainly help Lofton's game. And I do think it gives Florida the, just an opportunity to play a little more stylistically, which remember, you know, one big complaint about a couple of the Mike White seasons towards the end was pace of play and, and entertainment level of the basketball. And, you know, we don't even have to, to laugh at playing fast as in my DNA to say that some of that was... Uh, probably a little bit related to personnel. Um, you know, I don't think either of us, if you listen to this podcast for, for several years, you know that both Eric and I felt like Andrew Nimhard was more than capable of playing fast. And uh, we mentioned that a lot. And it was funny because then he transferred to Gonzaga and there was a lot of, of people on Twitter that were like, oh, he's not going to be able to play quick. And boy, were they wrong. Um, it, it looked... <laughs> just kind of effortless for Andrew. Um, it was, he was just a natural at it. And, uh, my point is that, so some of that certainly was on the coaches, but some of it was on the fact that like, if Andrew did come out of the game, like how else was Florida going to play? Like they didn't have really a a second option. Like you just alluded to with Chris Chiosa and Casey Hill, Florida could change tempos. Um, I thought it made them a lot better basketball team Florida will be able to do that with Trey Bonham, who I really do think is a guy who can push a defense. And then with Kyle Lofton, who's going to be that guy that that's under control, who you can give the basketball to in the half court and feel uh, a lot more comfortable running your Princeton stuff.
1: I I think too, uh, Kyle Lofton was a good defensive player at St. Bonaventure, and he was a good defensive player while playing 40 minutes a game. So you got to think like, okay, if he's going to play at oh gosh, I don't even know what minute prediction we want to put on, on Kyle Lofton, but less than less than 38, we'll take the under on that one, uh, or less than 40, which I think he played like 40 minutes in the last seven games of season. Under 40. We'll say, yeah, over, under, uh, under on that one. So you've got to think that that would even help him more defensively uh, to mm-hmm. play when he doesn't have to worry about, uh, about uh, energy and fatigue and also... Um, fouls too like you saw the st bonaventure team didn't commit a lot of fouls because it was like hey we don't want to go to the bench so you know you cannot get in foul trouble so he can be a little bit more aggressive like no problem there and um that's pretty big um you know i don't know any i don't know much about the the uh the strength and conditioning side of basketball and it's uh, definitely a side of of things where i'm not as informed as, as i am on other elements of basketball mm-hmm. but i've got to tell you neil Um, I, I, am all in on Victor Lopez and, um, I'm loving the, the, the weights of valor Instagram page, which I'm glad to see that he has kept the name. There's no like official, like Victor Lopez UF it's like weights of valor. So, so, so one one thing I love is he's like constantly putting up, like, he'll be like reading books that are like very like, you know, modern looks on, on. Um, Dynamism and elasticity and like all these like nice like moderate like it's not just like oh how do I bulk up basketball players and uh, one thing I loved is like you know close to when when Kyle Lofton uh, committed he was at some form of, of of conference and it was like about load management he had he had a picture of the of the screen and someone was talking about load management and and I was just like oh that's pretty funny coming off. Uh, uh, you know, coming off, taking a guy who played like 40 minutes a game. So I, I honestly like, <laughs> like obviously Kyle Lofton has been durable. Like he hasn't had injuries. Yeah. And none of those St. Bonaventure guys have. So, I, but I do, there is part of me that wonders. I mean, like, here's a guy who just put on, you know, Tom Thibodeau miles at, at St. Bonaventure <laughs> and, and uh you just say, you know, hopefully he's all good. He's been, he's been sturdy throughout, but um so, I mean, first of all, going to be nice for him to play less minutes. And I also just wanted to take the, uh, the time to shout out, um, you know coach victor yeah. who who i am just like loving seeing that uh he seems to be a pretty modern guy in his his approach to strength and conditioning and i've been loving his content i've been eating it up so um hope to talk to him sometime i have not yet but uh definitely definitely a fan of him and uh pretty interested to see how florida does see the minute loads for for some of these guys especially when you know victor's looking at uh different load management things
0: yeah no that's going to be super interesting and and i can't imagine that that will be a good uh over-under for next season. Uh Kyle Lofton minutes. I guarantee you that'll be early in that in that podcast. <laughs> um but yeah, I think I think under 40 is safe. <laughs> um so <laughs> uh under 39 is probably safe. I'll, I'll give you that. Um, but so so the Gators add uh lofton. There are still the two roster spots we should kind of walk people through. Um, how that went down. Josh Imbala did uh, a big man from Buffalo, all league player, um, did a, uh, an on-campus visit with Florida, uh, did an on-campus visit, a couple other places, ends up committing to to Ole Miss. Um, and I think, you know, and uh, Lofton's teammate real quick while we're on it, um, Shun Osanewe, uh committed somewhere. I think, Oh,
1: there was a, there was a package deal that, uh, you know, as much as I say, they don't often happen, but he went to, uh, he went to Iowa state with, uh, that's right. With Holmes. So, okay. Yeah. With Jaron
0: Holmes. So, uh, yeah. So, um, this will be the first time in eight years that Lofton or nine years that Lofton and him don't play together. Uh, having played four years of high school basketball together and four years of college basketball to be their first season apart. Um, So that should be interesting. Um, And then Imbala going to Ole Miss. And I do think in both situations, uh, the staff probably lost out at least to some extent based on playing time. I mean, again, you're asking, especially in Shun's case, you'd be asking a a fifth-year senior to sit on the bench and take a role where he's maybe a 15 16 17 minute a game guy that was always going to be kind of a hard sell I think um but with Imbala similar deal I mean I'm sure Florida would have loved to say hey Josh Imbala you can mm-hmm. you're the four. um but again not necessarily a guy that's going to stretch out the hands <laughs> of the offense um mm-hmm. as a stretch for so I don't think that was necessarily a selling point I think realistically it's a guy who's gonna have to play behind Castleton and in and it Miss, that's not a concern so your thoughts on on uh those two guys
1: yeah I think Florida wanted them so i, I think it probably came down a lot to uh um get on a line time and that's totally understandable and i I, I think too it's I like I would have been interested to know it, exactly uh what the pitch would have been and because again like at the same time, like San Francisco was never scared of playing big. They they played guys that, you know, they played some front-court combinations that a lot of coaches wouldn't. So I wouldn't – honestly, if they were – you know, they wanted Oshun and uh, Castleton to start next to each other, like I that wouldn't shock me. I don't know if that was the sell or um, if that would have been the best idea. Um, but they I, – I wouldn't shock me. And, and uh, you know, Mbala, same thing. I, I kind of think they would have started him. He would have been a very interesting – like that was actually one that like I would love to know if Florida – like really wanted him or if they like kind of wanted him because uh he is like like my projection system is not high on him at all offensively um and i think that it would have been a very clunky offensive fit coming to florida um however uh i am very high on him defensively and he is a very unique player where like again i i hate there's like always a thousand players every year that's compared to this player and like 999 of them are so stupid but he does have a lot of game on green to him um not offensively not making reads but like he's got that really like stocky frame but with like really long arms and like he's extremely right. like burst, bursty quick and we will now see that because he's in the sec like i don't think he's like mm-hmm. a great perimeter defense like you switch him out to a guard it's not like he's like elite 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 but like his ability to like shoot gaps in passing lanes or like rotate to block a shot like it's like it reminds me a little bit of Draymond Green when you're like how is this like you know top heavy you know stout you know six foot six center like how is he so like quick that's a little bit of what I get watching a ball so I think it would have been a very clunky fit offensively um but defensively he's I I I love his game so I'll be interested what he does at Ole Miss and um you know speaking about some of these guys you know Neil I wanted to just mentioned something you talking about, you know, Shuni going to uh, Iowa state, like one of the criticisms that you and me have gotten, and I'll say like very polite criticisms, uh, at least hopefully, um, is there's been a lot yeah. of people that have tweeted at us or, or messaged us and said like, with a lot of these mid-major projected transfers that Florida hasn't gotten largely and said like, Hey, you know, like really love the show, but you know, I, I think you guys are way too low on like this player. And, you know, Shuni was one of the ones that, we got a lot of and I just kind of want to remind people that like again I'm I as someone who looks at these transfer rankings or projections every year Mm -hmm. I like look a lot at up transfers and more often than not they do not pan out and St. Bonaventure like you mentioned Neil is is was a very good team last year they went deep into the NIT and um played a really good game with Xavier and played Xavier better than Florida did so um St. Bonaventure was really good don't get me wrong they played a good league, but their best player was Jalen Attaway. Um, he's going to the NBA draft. I don't think he'll be drafted, but he'll play somewhere. And then so you see, Kyle Lofton goes to Florida, Jaron Holmes and Oshuna Shuny goes to Iowa State, and Dominic Welch just transferred to Alabama. So the second, third, fourth, and fifth best players for St. Bonaventure went to SEC, 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 Big 12. And really you know so it's one of those things that like if these guys were all actually like what i'm suggesting is i don't think all these players are going to work out and if they all were going to work out why was st bonaventure not a sweet 16 team like like iowa state this is not even their best player that's going to be iowa state alabama and and florida so again I, i and we're high on Lofton. we just talked about it but and I know people were, were largely respectful when they're saying like, Hey, you guys are just like not as high on all these mid-major transfers and like kind of people that were suggesting we were too low on a lot of them. You know what? Maybe. And some of them are, are are going to, you know, really go off. I just think you're probably on the safer side of history. If you were to bet on a lot of these guys to not, not pan out in the most stellar possible way. Hey, maybe it maybe these four players at Iowa state, Florida and Alabama are going to be all league players, but it would kind of shock me if, st bonaventure was an nit team and not and you know their second third fourth and fifth best players all not even their best player all went to you know sec and iowa state schools and were awesome so it's just something i just wanted to kind of like lay out to people i kind of made my it it made the point really interesting when when welsh went to to alabama of all places that's like man these guys are going really good And, and i'll also point out that these are all older players so it's like again do you expect huge leaps in season five um maybe but the wise money would be not on that so um again just when just you know when people listen to us be like hey we'd love Oshun Oshunie but like we think he's you know probably a backup guy and you know we'll we'll see what happens from there and people are you know that that's kind of where we're coming from and uh we have the projection numbers and and stuff to back them out back them up but you know we'll see with all these state Bonaventure transfers how they how they all do I'll I'll be really interested to see yeah I think
0: that's a great point and i would add like some context to that just from the past season if that helps um people a little bit like for every jd note that leads a team to whatever round they got to again the elite eight i guess um for every tyree appleby even who's capable of, of heating up and beating the number two team in the country on on his home floor basically because he goes on a heater for 20 minutes um you know there's a Zep jasper who Uh, Injuries or no, was not terribly impactful for Auburn at five points a game with a turnover ratio of 1 to 1.3. You know, I mean, there is a Wendell green who's good, but but by no means uh, amazing. And look at Auburn. Like, that's actually a great one to stick with. Their most impactful transfers were power six transfers, right? Walker Kessler and Katie Johnson guys that came from other power six programs and were huge and instrumental in them winning. Um, you know, so again, the JD notes are kind of the exception and they're you, you know, let's play into the Appleby criticisms a little bit. Like Appleby is more a little bit above the norm, right? Because he's capable of winning those huge games against top 10 teams, but he also had his nights where um, it didn't, go quite as well for him. I don't think Tyree has anything to worry about in terms of adjusting to power six basketball. And I think Kyle Lofton will be just fine in that regard, which is one of the reasons I'm so confident that that'll work out. But yeah, I mean, I think, you know, for example, Will Richard is a guy who a lot of people are like, Oh, he's going to walk in and start. And I understand that there's some NBA style athleticism there and length. Um, But I also would caution people that, you know, just because he can score on all three levels at Belmont doesn't mean that that's just going to consistently happen as a sophomore in the SEC playing better competition night in and night out. It's just not guaranteed to occur. And like, you know, I've now seen what Niles Lane going 14 and five with Florida. And yeah, I stand for lane all the time. So take it fast forward if you need to, but um, you know, Florida was 14 and five with Niles on the floor and his final game was a double double with laryngitis against the team that I, I don't know, they either won the NIT or lost in the final um, and probably should have gone to the NCAA tournament and the SEC tournament. So, uh, you know, saying Will Richard's just going to walk in and start over him. I don't know about all that guys. Uh, And it's not because I'm cynical. It's because there's, you know, lots of empirical data that kind of backs this up, Eric. I mean, some people
1: are going to maybe swear at their phones when I say this, but the fact of the matter is, Tyree Appleby was a success story. And I know some people are going to say, like, "Oh, that like uh, no." Agree you know, for the he, record. He, he, you know, he was. You know, people are going to say, like, "Oh, you know, he was okay or he was below average." That that's not. But if you actually look at mid major to high major transfers for the Gators to get the production out of Tyree Appleby that they did, that is a pot. That is a better than average outcome for similar transfers. I have the data for it. So, um, uh, and so, yeah, it's just, it, it would would people say, that, and would people look at that, like, I think, feel like if you ask the average Gator fan, was Tyree Appleby, you know, like a, a negative, a, you know, uh, did it come out in the wash or was it, you know, a success story or a positive? People would probably be like, you know, he was solid, you know, ate some innings and was, you know, some people loved him, some people didn't love him as much. But the fact of the matter is the, the production that the Gators got out of him was a good outcome an above average outcome for very similar styles of players so if that's the just you know factoring that in I'm also like and again I I didn't even actually mean this to bring bring things back to uh Lofton I kind of just you know went on a tangent when we were talking um Oshun but uh when when it comes to projections for like what people expect out of out of Kyle Lofton um if if people are expecting some huge leap um in year five after he's already played 162 games. And like, like we know, we know exactly what Kyle often is. And that's amazing. That makes him so projectable. And, uh, but you know, I don't think he's going to you know, light things up in a way that he didn't light things up in, in the a 10. And, and, uh, you know, I have been, you know, I was, and, and I, 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 I don't even like saying this. Cause I love Will Richard, but like the fact of the matter is like, looking at the average fan, I'll say that I'm lower on Will Richard. Um, and it's because of, like you said, the, uh, just looking at you know recent recent history him coming in and starting I mean Will Richard is actually an interesting one and this is another tangent but like he was kind of the first class of high school recruits that was affected by COVID and the transfer portal and everyone getting extra year where I think he could have gone elsewhere I think he could have and again Belmont's a great program don't get me wrong but I think he could have gone to uh even better program had it been a right. normal year where there was the regular number of kind of high school spots for these, these teams to take and people could have been out recruiting more. So we'll see exactly what happens like a Will Richard, but um, yeah, the, 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 the wise money is on, um, you know, proven power six guys like in Niles Lane. So we'll see exactly how that goes. But um, I did want to ask just one more question, you going back to the sure. original topic of Kyle Lofton and Trey Bonham Um I think that those guys could probably play a little bit together. Not saying that Florida's rotation necessarily allows that, but do you see Kyle Lofton and Trey Bonham playing together much?
0: Um, And for what reason? So I, I could see them playing together some, Eric. The one thing that would happen then is like, neither of them are particularly, uh, you know, we talked about how Bonham is a judicious three point shooter um, with his shot selection. We've talked about how, and Lofton was too, to be fair. Like if you go back and actually look at shots taken, I think he was fourth or fifth on um, the Bonnies in three-point attempts. So he wasn't like launching away. He was being judicious uh, probably because he knew that he's not a great three-point shooter. But I just wonder about the shooting, if that's the lineup. Um, you know, I could see doing that uh, in a game that's up and down a little bit um to where if if florida's trying to score first 10 seconds uh great you can have bottom get the ball but you can play bonham maybe off Lofton, um if you want to get super pick and roll heavy or if you're in the half court um i think you could bottom would be fine in the pick and roll heavy stuff too but i think you know um yeah so that that would kind i think you could totally do it you probably need to make sure that Wacy reeves or myron jones was on the floor with them um And if it's Myron, that really brings up some interesting lineup predicaments. Uh, So it would probably have to be Kowasi Reeves for like an Eric Fawcett lineup data tweet to not go viral. Um, But (laughs) yeah, that's kind of my thought on that. Uh, One – actually, I'll let you finish that thought and then I'll come back to this transfer idea.
1: Um, Yeah, I I was just kind of like (laughs) – it almost gives me some unfortunate memories to some an off-season podcast we had before last season. And I think some <laughs> listener, some listener asked us, um, do you think do you see Elijah Kennedy, you know, playing minutes at all? And I believe I said something along the lines of if Elijah Kennedy, you know, looking at Florida's perimeter depth, if he or you know, Toon Gakik plays minutes, something has went terribly wrong.
0: Oh and, I didn't even uh, think of that.
1: <laughs> and uh, you know, what happened? We end up seeing those guys relatively early so it's one of those things where my first instinct is kind of i want to say well if they need to play those two guys together i mean uh, hey on one hand maybe it's because they're both so good that they command minutes and that's totally possible on the other hand it's probably means that will richard is not what some people think and niles lane is not what we think or you know quay series is not what well you know we think so like it, it almost I, I almost want to say if those guys play together something has gone wrong um which is kind of what I said last year about Toon Gatkick and, uh, uh, and Elijah Kennedy. Um, and now I can laugh about it, I suppose. Um, but at the same time, like Trey Bonham, if Trey Bonham's coming in and hitting 40% of his threes on higher volume and, and showing that kind yeah. of pick and roll ability, that was really, really good. And Kyle often is Kyle often and taking care of the ball and playing good defense and setting up everyone and getting Colin Cats and layups. Um, maybe it's more, a uh, more a product of like those guys are so good that they command minutes more than, you know, the doomsday scenario where it's like, you know, Niles Lane is somehow stapled to the bench again and they need someone else to put, you know, chip in some minutes at the two, but yeah, that's uh that'll be another one of one of many interesting lineup things to, to keep an eye on going
0: into the season. So two topics. So I wanted to circle back to transfers because I said something about window green and I didn't want people to think that I was knocking him. I was just saying, I don't think he was one of their most impactful transfers I would characterize Wendell green as a success story too. He came in and played point guard for an sec champion. That's pretty good. And he did a good job. Um, and I do think, I do think that Jasper Auburn fans deep down would not blame the injuries. They'd say he wasn't as good as we thought. Um, and so, you know, you kind of take what the good and the bad there. Arkansas is another great example of where the most impactful of Musselman's army of transfers were power six players. Um, and I say that with all due respect to Stanley Omude, who I thought was their glue guy for sure, Eric. Um, and I think he averaged like 11 points and six rebounds, which is really good. Right. Um, but you know, like, you know, JD Notte has been there a couple years, so he wasn't a power six. He's the inception, but in between that, um, you know, Adi's Tony changed who they were defensively. Right. Um, so I think, you know, that's what a big time transfer. They're probably their least successful transfer was, uh, Wade who had been like a seven and a half point scorer at like UTEP and Wichita state. And I think he averaged three points a game. His rebounds were down. Like everything was down. Now I know they liked the way he defended period, but a lot of that, uh, I still, I don't think that makes him necessarily a huge success story. It's sort of a run of the mill transfer. And that's a coach who gets the most out of his transfers. So to Eric's point, there's just a lot of empirical data that shows. Like some of these mid-major, oh, we got this guy and he's gonna be great. You know, it can happen. Um, but oftentimes they kind of they certainly don't necessarily they don't necessarily change who they are either, to, to Eric's point as well. Um, the last thought, and this is a question I'm gonna pose for Eric, but it's one that's been nagging at both of us off air. And so um I think it, it is time to have a discussion about Myron Jones, who I think surprised some people when he came back and decided to play his COVID year at Florida. Um, And so I have a take on it, but I'm interested in in Eric's take because this week Todd Golden said something about, you know, maybe more ball usage uh, could be a solution for Myron and that he didn't use or have the ball in his hands as much as he did at Penn State. And they had data that showed that or else Todd Golden wouldn't say it but it definitely got me thinking because it wasn't like, um, that That wasn't the first thing that came to my head when I thought of what Myron's problems might be, nor was an injury to his finger for what it's worth, folks.
1: Yeah, I, I better leave plenty of space here for you, Neil. Um, I, I will say one of the things that would surprise people is that his pick and roll numbers last year for Florida were actually quite good um, in, a, in a way that surprised me. And is probably going to surprise a lot of people listening. And it's one of those things where his turnover numbers out of pick and roll were not actually terrible, which would also surprise people because his turnovers in some other areas were bad. Um, When he did turn the ball over out of pick and roll, some of them were like downright catastrophic, like close my laptop. I can't watch this. So some of them were, were loud, (laughs) but they weren't actually, you know, that bad, but uh, yeah, his, uh, eh, it's one of those things where like his shooting off the dribble numbers at Penn state were above average. Um, A lot of them were in the mid range. So they were above average, but still like not great shots because they were still contested off the dribble um, shots. So again, the thing that we went back to a lot of time on the podcast that I would will say once again is that I think it was a lot of the screen usage where he was really, really good at Penn State coming off screens, um, reading screens, um, using screens to get off what's not like the quickest jump shot, just getting a little bit of that space. To me, that was a little bit of the uh, um, of the biggest issue about how he was used at Florida, which is very similar to um, with when Noah Locke was here, and we didn't think he was kind of utilized to his fullest potential. So, uh, was I a little bit surprised and maybe a little bit scared to see them talk about how they need to put the ball in Myron Jones' hands more? Y- yes, I was. It was it was surprising to me. I can see why you can make an argument for it based off some of the numbers and you know if i truly wanted to and this was debate club and i was given my opinion to argue even if i didn't believe it i could totally make the argument based off some numbers why they should put the ball in his hands more but on the whole i would say no that is not what i think myron jones needs or more specifically i don't think that that's what this this team needs i will say for a player who had the season he did and for coach golden coming in i'm totally behind his reclamation tour of being very, very positive and supportive of Myron Jones, which this is not the first time he has been very outspoken about his, um, support of Myron Jones and, um, how he sees him as a player that's going to play a big role. I kind of wonder how much of that is. Yeah. Just being encouraging and a little bit of pageantry there. Um, but, uh, Hey, if he's gonna, if if he's going to come in and, and make a ton of shots, then, uh, Hey, that would be that. That would be great. Whatever works. But uh, those are some of my reactions. But uh, Neil, I better let uh, better let
0: you go now. Well, I had two thoughts on Myron, and and one is, um, you know, I hope that they do get him off screens more. Uh, I didn't know about the pick and roll numbers either. That's really interesting. Um, you know, certainly it helps to have the ball if you're playing the pick and roll. <laughs> 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 um, but Florida's going to need people that can bury shots. I'm still like my biggest concern with this team as constructed. And I, I could go on a a long rant about how it's nice to see a team where there's an idea um, in mind about how they might want to play and where probable weaknesses are addressed in the portal and things like that. Um, I do think that there's a thought and structure to this team that we haven't seen at Florida in a few years. Um, I still think when you look at it objectively, like one weakness is shooting, um, Byron Jones can solve that as a guy, if, if they get something close to the guy that shot 40% in, in what I think is one of the best two leagues in the country in in the big 10, um, if they can get that great, uh, if they, and it has to be something close to it. So that's why he's going to play. The second reason, and this is really what I think more of it is about, and maybe, and maybe I'm wrong. Maybe these data guys, Saffer and and um, and Golden and and Hubday, they all looked at it and they thought we really do need to get him the ball more. It's about ball usage. Maybe it's just that simple. But I honestly think some of it is tactical statements to the press. Um, and to that end. Uh, let me just say this at the top so no one thinks I'm comparing Todd Golden to Billy Donovan. I'm not. Okay. Cool. Uh sometimes coaches say things to the media um because they know that the player pays attention to that stuff. Myron Jones is a guy who's very involved with a podcast and he's active on social, he's in the journalism school. He, you know, I guarantee you he pays attention to what's going on. Um, I know other Florida players that do on this team that's coming back. Um, and in the past, uh, the best edit in the most famous edit in college football is Nick Saban, right? He does it really obviously though with the like funny things like rat poison and this and that, and the other that, that he'll say about his teams. But I was reading, uh, and anyone that wants to not listen to the pod anymore after this is fine. But I was reading John Calipari's book and, um, (laughs) I listened to a podcast with Cal where he was asked about something he says in the book about how he'll say things to the media largely for player consumption. And Cal said, surprisingly, I'm not the best at it. I know everybody thinks that I am. He said, the best at it is Billy Donovan and the podcast host was like, huh? (laughs) And he said, I think Billy does it in a different way though, because Billy is just telling the media what he thinks. Like there's no coach speak. Like Billy, if you ask Billy, what do you think of Casey Prather? Billy will say exactly what he thinks of Casey Prather to the media. Right. So he would say, well, Casey doesn't necessarily know who he is as a player yet. So he shoots too many threes. Right. And in a way that's a tactical statement to the media, Eric, because <laughs> he, he said, but it's also what Cal said. Cause he said exactly what he thinks. Right. Like, If Casey Prather paying attention, Billy Donovan just told a reporter that Casey Prather, his shot selection isn't great. Um, And so when Todd Golden repeatedly talks about what a great shooter Myron Jones is to make a torturously long uh, winded comment, uh, somewhat shorter, I think he's trying to build up Myron's confidence and say, look, just forget about last year. That was weird. We're going to put you in positions where you're comfortable. You're going to make shots. I know what a good shooter you are. You're going to make shots. Another Donovan example was Maurice Spates. Maurice Spates had a nice little game in the national title game that included like an 18-foot NBA jumper that he started to make as a pro pretty consistently um, on the baseline. And so they went to SEC media days, and most Spates the next year was second-team All-SEC. And at the press conference, Donovan said, I can't believe you guys voted Maurice Spates second-team All-SEC because he made a jump shot in the national (laughs) title game like he has so many other things to work on and it's like that's a tactical statement in the press but donovan did it for different reasons i think those things are useful sometimes and i think some of that plays into what's happening with meyer in this offseason
1: well said so i pulled up the pick and roll numbers because i wanted to tell you neil because i felt bad just saying it so um i'm going to tell you this to make you know two points um one is uh you know, to start just uh, why they might look at him and say, oh, we needed to get him the ball more. So this is also going to be a number that I think is going to surprise you, Neil, and may surprise the listeners. The number of pick and rolls that Myron Jones logged last year, um, everyone get a mental guess in, lock it in. He ran 103, which is actually a pretty good sample size. And I bet you're surprised that he there was, you know, yeah, over, so. just over three. Yeah, that's surprising. So uh from an efficiency standpoint, the gators are at 1.01 points per possession on those pick and rolls, which is really good. I think he might have been the only gator ball handler above a single point per possession who logged it up possessions. So I will say this to make two points or to bring up two points, I should say. On one hand, you could look at that and say, hey, he was really good in pick and roll. We should give him the ball more. On the other hand, you could say, hey, That's 27% of Myron Jones' total possessions last year were in pick and roll. That's a lot. So one could also say, are we sure he didn't have the ball enough last year? You know what I you know what I mean, right? Like if he was if it was like, oh, his pick and rolls are really good, but he ran one a game, then you could say, Oh, like we should get in the ball more often, which would be like, hey, he did it well on a small sample size. Let's get him more and see what happened. But it's like, it's kind of like he I don't know if he got cheated you know what I mean like I think he should I think he should have been ran off more screens I think he should have been used that way yeah but looking at the numbers it's like he ran a good number of pick and rolls this is you know like he this is they they're uh, he had, so and then you could also say he ran a good number of pick and rolls they were efficient and still his season was disappointing you know what I mean you could so it's not even like oh you know Give him the ball, and if he shows efficiency running pick and rolls, then his season will turn around. Well, it's like, well, he actually was pretty good in pick and rolls, and his season was still a little bit <laughs> disappointing. So, so again, I, I say that all under the umbrella context of if if Golden is using this as a motivation tactic, or I am one hundred percent around that. So I'm not trying to like poke holes in an argument that he we don't we don't even know if he's making that argument you know he's he did say something about the ball in his hands more we don't know exactly what he right uh, you know meant by that from a schematic standpoint or whether it was just a motivational tool so if it was a motivational tool this can be strike you know strike it from the record i don't let me get in the way of trying to motivate Myron jones to be a better basketball player or have a better season um but uh, yeah, those are just some numbers that are very, very interesting. He actually had the ball in his hands more than you think, in my opinion, or more, I, I would assume more than what people think. And he actually was pretty efficient at pick and rolls. But again, it's like, what does that mean moving forward? Do they think he's going to get even more efficient out of pick and rolls? I don't know. Like maybe, but there's not a lot of room there. I don't think unless he becomes like a, a Trey Bonham um, pick and roll ball handling savant, um, yeah. I, it, it's interesting to see. Um, we will find out, you know, in the fall in forever in a time that feels forever from now, if this was <laughs> a motivational tactic or if they really see him as someone in a primary ball handling role, but man, in our discussions of, there's been a whole lot of discussion on Twitter, you know, when Malik Grady puts his depth chart up and it's like, yeah. is it Niles Lane starting? Is it Will Richard starting? Everyone's kind of got Kwesi Reeves locked into three. I haven't seen anyone's projected starting lineup that has Myron Jones. Um, that could be definitely a, a, a wrinkle that changes what a lot of people are, are thinking. And I'm sure we'll get plenty of off-season content before that and start talking uh, start talking lineups and, and starting lineup then. But um, hey, as much as we are not projecting Byron Jones to start, if he's an efficient 15-point per game score,
0: we'll all be very, very happy with him starting. No question. Sure. I think, and I don't even know, I don't remember if Rothstein had him in there or not. And that might've been, if oh, he did, I think that be. might've been, I think Rothstein was the only one that I've seen though where, where he had Myron in at the two. Um, and, uh, you know, I think a lot of it Rothstein's a Northeastern guy. And I think he will consistently argue that the big 10 is, you know, the second best league behind the big 12. And it's an argument that is worth having next year, especially, you heard Eddie Shannon say, he thought the SEC could be the potentially the best league in the country next year, which I think it's possible. Um, I think the NCAA tournament kind of, Suggested they weren't quite that this year, but they were certainly top three. Um, anyway, the last issue we're going to get to, because we're not, we, this show has taken some some dips and turns and it's been fun. And I think we haven't quite gotten to where we're going to be comfortable starting listener questions. But So we might as well talk about the last of one of Florida's last targets, which is F.A. uh, who visited Florida already um, and then listed Florida in his final four with the decision date, I think, of next week. Um, So um, he's a guy who's playing 24 minutes, playing for uh, Golden's mentor, uh, one of Golden's mentors, Kyle Smith. Uh, That team was an NIT Final Four team um, out of the Pac-12. I I watched a bunch of their games, um, especially when there started to be whispers about Mike White. Um, I started watching Washington State games because I <laughs> like Kyle Smith. I think he's a really good basketball coach, and I think he was wringing the sponge, as they say, out of uh, out of that Cougars team. I honestly think Abagini was probably his best player, but his minutes were a little limited because he's still a guy that's dealing with some fitness. Uh, you know, I think he's getting acclimated to playing big time basketball. Um, he's another one of these guys that, that started playing basketball late. Um, but what I like about America is that he might actually complement Colin Castleton pretty well. Uh, and I, what I mean by that is I feel like he can kind of stretch a little bit offensively and play facing the basket, um, a bit more. Uh, he also seems pretty comfortable as like a secondary passer. I know I don't think he's going to be too creative with his passing, but he's going to make the safe and smart pass. Um, plenty. He doesn't turn the ball over. Um, when he touches it, and he shot like 28% from deep. And before we all poo-poo that, that's on like 60 attempts, first of all. Um, And Colin Castleton made exactly zero. So, you know, when you're comparing like, hey, we really think Colin Castleton's going to extend his game and start dropping in threes versus a guy like Abagini, who made 16 three-pointers last year. You know, I think it's pretty obvious what the better solution is. It's the guy who was 16 for 55 or 17 for 60 or whatever he was uh, and has shot and made more than 10 threes in both his seasons uh, of college basketball. He's a strong rebounder, uh, top 10 in the um, Pac-12 in both. uh, In rebounding as a freshman, numbers fell off a little in that department this year because, again, he was further away from the basket a bit more. Um, also a capable shot blocker defensively um, his feet aren't awesome you know I don't for a guy that's 6'10 230 he doesn't move great um, but I think he would be a nice depth piece and and probably really fill out and round out the Florida front court well yeah it's going to be an interesting one to see so the the his
1: final four is a potential return to Washington State which they unfortunately got gutted a little bit by the portal and probably an nba decision for a guy and uh so obviously maybe that's in the mix but that would offer him minutes for sure a big role which florida maybe wouldn't be able to um the other school is maryland who is in the transition year of course after a coaching change so uh, and they've got a couple you know uh Couple good front court players as well, but would be somewhere in the mix of like they would not be projected as an NCAA tournament team. They do have some good seniors in the front court, but they definitely like they're a little bit more like the 6'8, 240, like powerful below the rim guys. And and he would be a different change to that. And then Arizona, which I would say is, you know, currently positioned to be the best team, but um, yeah they're loaded with front court players. um they already are bringing back Christian Coloco, um Tabellis. They signed two really, highly kind of um two really good centers in the high school class. And then today, just before we record this podcast, they picked up another very good front court player of the twenty two class. Um he's this like six foot ten. um his name's Henry Visar. He's from Estonia, I think, but he was playing with Real Madrid. um so for my wow. you know, casual liga acb standum was aware of him so like uh, again he's he's not like an abegidi but like he's still like a 6 foot 10 mobile like uh just kind of skilled like similar ish style game not as not as explosive but similar style player so like yeah I, I, again three of those front court players are um would be you know freshmen but still like highly acclaimed guys so i just think that uh, arizona's front court is pretty loaded so it'll be kind of interesting to see how um how abigidi weighs um role versus quality of team and all that but that's kind of the breakdown of you know maryland who's got like some minutes available doesn't look to be great washington state who's got all the minutes available not going to be great florida who doesn't have a lot of minutes or you know has only summits available and should be you know pretty good and arizona who i think will be really good but you know it's really crowded so that's kind of the uh and then I guess hypothetically NBA draft also for him, but I don't think that there would be a, I don't think there's interest. So I'm assuming he'll be back to college.
0: Yeah. And I should have mentioned gay as probably their best player, but he was certainly like, I thought their best player that that was more than likely to come back. And I think, um, you know, the conditioning thing he could work on Eric, but at 20 to 24 minutes a game that he was getting 20 as a freshman, 24 as a sophomore, like he'd be around 18 to 20 at Florida, I think depending on like what Alex Fudge Florida gets, I guess uh, to some extent Um, and what CJ Felder Florida gets. But you know, it, uh, it seems like it would be the best fit for him just from like, Hey, the best combination of can I win and contribute and he'd have the two years of eligibility. So he doesn't have to like sit behind Colin Castleton forever. If he wants to move back and, and be a more traditional five.
1: Yeah. That'll, and, and again, that's just something that has, like he's gotten pretty deep into the NBA process, obviously like was not invited to the NBA combine. Um, But uh, I'll, I'll be interested exactly like for a player who does, you know, go down the their route of trying to get some workouts to like, does he plan on being in, you know, college for one more year. Um, then it's like, yeah, maybe he looks the the Maryland direction. If he sees a little bit further than that, then yeah, I think Florida is going to be, uh, Florida is going to be very much into the mix. Um, one more thing on Florida's front court depth, uh, CJ Felder has been tweeting about that, uh, that he feels like healthy for the first time in a, in a long time. So um really happy for, for Felder, um, because that was a probably a very frustrating season for him last year. Um, and, uh, you know, add another name to, to the mix of, like, he's kind of suggesting he'll be totally healthy for next season. And uh, yeah, player we thought was going to be way more impactful than he was last year, and I think it was largely because of injuries. So, uh, yeah, I think he'll have something to say about that, you know, starting for power forward spot too. So um, happy for Felder. We will,
0: uh, <laughs> we will see this uh, intense competition for minutes. There's no question. Man, I think he will. I mean, and, you know, remember, that's a guy that Leonard Hamilton, like, praised – uh, profusely when I spoke to him last summer. So, um, you know, I trust him and anybody that ham wanted to transfer to FSU. Um, you know, that's another thing like, you know, I think Leonard knows how to build a roster these days in this sport last season aside, um, which, you know, it turned out that Scotty Barnes was pretty good. Right. Um, and, uh, some other things that, that they lost. So they, they just kind of had to rebuild and then were were crippled by some injuries. That's another great – by the way, Caleb Mills, another example of a guy who mid-major player from a really good program, Houston, and, like, the ACC, which was supposedly, like, super down. Caleb Mills was, like, not all that in a bag of chips, man. Like, he he was okay. Uh, he wasn't Houston Caleb Mills, that's for sure. Uh, so th- these adjustments uh, kind of to Eric's point. Finally, Florida did make two offers this morning. Um, And the one of the consistent recruits are consistent recruits. The only consistent complaint Florida basketball hour gets is about recruiting. Um, (laughs) (laughs) You guys don't cover it at all. Um, So we'll just shout out that Florida did make a couple offers this morning, both to Atlanta kids. Um, One Peyton Mitchell who's a six foot 10, 300 pound mountain of a man from Marietta, Georgia. I have not watched any video yet. Uh, the one service that's rated him has him as a four-star prospect. He has no 24-7 composite rating. He's got an ESPN rating, which I value almost none. Um, and then uh, Jeremiah Wilkinson, uh, who has no ratings whatsoever from anyone, uh, Florida is his third offer, uh, third Division One offer, um, 2024 point guard, also out of Atlanta. Uh, Ole Miss offered him last week, and um, Florida offered him today. By the way, Peyton Mitchell's offer list is crazy. It's like Auburn, Cincinnati, UCLA, Georgia, Georgia Tech. Um, So, you know, Florida's getting in that fight nice and early, which I appreciate. Uh, For those of you who who see 6'10", 300 and think Jason Jatobo, that's fine, but – I mean, my dude is like already uh, uh, getting that offer list. I mean, Jason DeTobo didn't have that offer list. So this is pretty interesting um, and and worth monitoring uh, Peyton Mitchell. You know, I I, I I guess I addressed some of our uh, criticisms
1: earlier in the podcast when uh, <laughs> people said that uh, we were maybe a little bit too low on our, our – we were down on some of these transfer targets. Um, to people that have criticisms regarding our coverage bridge of high school recruiting i would say that is totally fair um that is just it's not totally fair That is, that is not a strength 100 um, so uh thank you neil for doing that uh that work um i look forward to getting into some of these guys down the line and as as florida uh, uh gets deeper into their recruitment but at the, at the time being uh i know that yeah. is uh unfortunately not a strength um of uh <laughs> of ours so uh definitely uh definitely pick it up uh down the line when when things are uh Florida gets in in, in deeper with some of these recruitments, but uh, I know, I know there's still, there's still plenty of people who absolutely love the recruiting side. And um, yeah, that's just never, never totally been us. So uh, sorry to those people. We hope you can find some enjoyment in some other elements of the show. Yeah, I know
0: um, that, you know, there's still all the guys that that have moved over from rivals to on three tend to do a pretty good job of, of keeping up with some of that stuff. Um, You know, I, I found this stuff out, like Twitter searching. So, you know, that's the extent of the, 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 homework I did. And then I kind of looked these guys up and got excited about Peyton Mitchell and really could find almost nothing about this point guard, except that Ole Miss offered him like as a two guard and Ford offered him as a point guard, apparently, um, you know, which tells me combo guard. That's fine. Whatever. Uh haven't watched any video on these cats. So yeah, totally fair to criticize our, our coverage of, of Florida's work on the recruiting trail um that's on us we'll get it fixed probably not um <laughs> <laughs> so yeah uh that's all I got unless you had any parting thoughts on on Saban and Jimbo gate
1: <laughs> uh oh man I uh that was uh that was good content um I'll I'll say that much but uh wow I I, I would be I I would be careful uh of course throwing throwing stones I know that uh not, to, not that I'm about to say that you know Nick Saban's a, a god or czar, whatever terminology has been used, but uh, yeah, there seemed to be Jimbo had that look in his eye of like I'm ready for mutually assured destruction. So I would, uh, I'd be, I'd be wary of of that from an ex staffer <laughs> for sure. Um, oh my but gosh, I Right. I, uh, I, uh, I'm kind of happy we do not see that on 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 the basketball side and yet. Um, but I'll I'll also say this. I mean, I I did mention a little bit with uh, Janai Broom. Um, recruitment and some of these other that like people are pretty quick to just say like, Oh, you know, we missed out on a guy. Oh, it's all about NIL or it's all about, you know, oh, like complain about the transfer portal and oh, it's all money. And like, I was, you know, it kind of mentioned that I didn't think Janai Broom was, was all NIL related. And I was kind of, you know, in Nick Saban kind of suggesting that everyone he missed out on was all NIL related, uh, which of course he's talking to a bunch of boosters. So maybe like Todd Golden talking about Myron Jones, there's, subtext and, and other, other motives. Um, but it's one of those things that was just a reminder to me that, uh, no, I do not think that every recruitment these days is based exclusively off money. And when Mark would remind people that I'll just say on the basketball side, I don't know football, but, um, I'll say on the basketball side, no, it's, uh, please, please. When Florida misses out on recruits in the future, do not just assume that it is all related to NIL.
0: Yeah, no, I don't think it is. Um, and that's an informed take. It's not like, I don't think it is. and. I'm just speculating (laughs) it's an informed take on both sides. I mean, kids still ultimately um, it's definitely something else for kids to consider. And I think that's a really good thing for the kids. Um, I understand that people think it's kind of an unmitigated circus right now, and maybe it is, but that's on the NCAA, big shock for establishing exactly zero guidelines as to how it's supposed to work. And then asserting that there are guidelines all of a sudden, um, you know, creating ad hoc guidelines as you go along is probably not the best way to to dive into um, making name image like this work. But it is good that players are able to get compensated to some extent for their labor like everyone else um, in this country or Canada. That seems to be a positive thing. Uh, but, yeah, it was really fast. Like Jimbo being that angry was super weird. Um not because I, I'm not going to get into glass houses and stones either. Like, I don't want to speculate on, on how Jimbo landed that recruiting class. He obviously was a great recruiter at FSU. Uh, so, you know, it can happen. Um, but I will say like the only person like Sabin's record is Patino-esque against his like protégés, <laughs> you know, like Patino has like famously one loss to his protégés and like was undefeated against Donovan, for example, um, you know, Saban was undefeated against his protégés and former assistants uh, until the national title game. Um, and that was a rematch because he had like beaten Georgia to a pulp in the SEC title game. Uh, so I don't know, man, if I were visiting Tuscaloosa the next season, like I might not have flown off the handle of the press conference, but that's just me. Uh, so. That's kind of
1: like, <laughs> like uh, yeah, I yeah I mean I'm pretty excited for that game um for sure it's one of those things that like I know there was a lot of memes about it but like uh content like <laughs> yeah. that when you're when your team isn't involved um because oh, it's pretty great. And, and I think that there's a lot of people that'll be sure to tune into that game um on the Nil front hey I see Niles Lane uh, he released a shirt I think Jason jatobo released yeah. a shirt as well if people want to support um, some Florida basketball players. I was, I was really excited for Niles Lane to release something because, um, he's got wicked style. I, I would love to see him just like put out a total streetwear line. Cause, um, I, I he's, you can definitely see he's got kind of an eye for that kind of stuff. Um, and uh, I know, you know, Colin Caston's got his line of stuff out there too. Um, I think Kwasi Reeves at some point has got to come out with uh, his, I know that everyone thinks he's yeah, going to be, so. uh, be a star. So, uh, yeah, I, uh, I, I, people are keeping their eye out for, for stuff that they can buy to support the, uh, some, some Florida athletes, a uh, couple, a couple more added. So, uh, I think that there's probably going to be an, is, eventually I could see like every single Florida player having their own t-shirt and you could just keep that rotation of 13 going strong. But, uh, right now it's, uh, just on Niles Lane and Jason Jotoba puts them out. So that's, uh, what will not be a regular uh, part of the <laughs> show, but we will. It's like, a, yeah, the NIL update of Florida athletes. But hey, if they wanted to promote anything they were doing on the show, I, I'd be happy to promote it. So, um, it's especially mm-hmm. like that, that's one thing too about the whole NIL thing that, um, I think is super cool. It's like, like when you look at Niles Lane's Instagram, you can see that fashion is really important to him. When you go to Kowasi Reeves's Instagram, you can see that fashion is really important to him. So I, I, as much as I know people are just like, oh, it's, you know, i making money. I'm also really happy that these guys have like an artistic outlet for something that they're obviously passionate sure. about outside of basketball in a way that they couldn't before. So um, I hope those guys uh, definitely uh, continue because they've got uh, some talents in those areas that aren't just basketball. And that's uh, yeah, there's our, there's our NIL update.
0: Yeah, and we've told the Gator Collective, and they know that um, we're more than happy to promote anything that those guys want to do. Um, it's, it's, you know, we have a, a platform that we're very fortunate to have and, and happy to help them in any way we can. We normally uh, sign off the show with our own signature uh, sign-off. We're going to do something a little different today because of the retirement of the great McEbert, um, who is leaving uh, University of Florida Broadcasting after 30 years, the only um, a, a more than thirty-year career, I guess a little bit. Um, in any event, uh, the only broadcaster uh, in the country who has called a baseball, football, and basketball national championship. Um, you know, even some of the great voices in history in the SEC, uh, like Larry Munson of Georgia, uh, John Ward of Tennessee, Eli Gold of Alabama, uh, the voices that kind of define. Collegiate sports in the South, they didn't always call all three sports. Um, even Gene Deckeroff and FSU did not call all three sports. And Gene just said bye at the spring game. So it'll be a whole new crew on both sides of the Florida-Florida State rivalry next year. Um, but in any event, Mick did, uh, and he did it really well, uh, whether you were listening to him call a basketball game or a football game or a baseball game. Uh, He was extraordinarily capable in all those capacities. Um, And Florida has a history of amazing broadcasters. Red Barber uh, was the broadcaster for the Brooklyn Dodgers for many years, and then the LA Dodgers uh, and the Yankees. Um, And he started at the University of Florida. He had a protege named Vin Scully, you guys may have heard of, um, who had a pretty nice career. Uh, So Mick, um, thank you for everything. And in honor of Mick, we'll use Mick's signature sign off today. So long, everybody.